Hello, everybody. What difference do you think it would really make if Jesus had risen from the dead? A lot. I hope it's made a lot of difference to many of you here. That is really the question that is at the heart of this 40 Days with Jesus program. And that's what we're going to be exploring as a church together over the next 40 days. There's three ways in which you can join in. Come along on Sunday, hear some talks about it. Pick up your daily devotional reading. And obviously join in with group discussions, either in your small group or coming along here on a Wednesday and Thursday evening. On a Wednesday evening, sorry, and a Thursday morning, if you, whichever one you can make. This idea of the resurrection is something that a lot of people question and struggle perhaps to, to get their heads around. But I just believe, actually, if we can have more confidence as a church in the difference that this resurrection story can make in our lives, the impact it can have on us, and on the world around us can be absolutely enormous in a good way. And tonight we're going to do two things as we sort of start off on this journey. First, we're going to focus on the fact that Jesus really is alive. You know that there's firm, reliable, credible facts that the resurrection is not just wishful thinking or something that we've made up, but a real event that happened in history. Some of you may have heard some of these points that I will say tonight as I do that bit, but it's just really important to remind ourselves that we're not believing a fairy tale. We're trusting in a God who is alive in great news. And after we look at some of those, not going to exhaust you by looking at all of them, then we're going to look at how we can live as a result of that, some of the implications of it and particularly focus on the implications that we heard tonight from that passage from John's Gospel uh, and Jesus' interaction with Mary. But before I go any further, let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, as we explore this passage from the Gospel of John, I just ask that you will help us to be more convinced of the truth and trustworthiness of the resurrection of your Son, of his promises and what that means for us. Can we just grow in confidence in living for you each and every day and in all the different situations we find ourselves in? Speak to us now through your spirit. Amen. So let's dive in and have a look at why we should believe the resurrection of Jesus is a real and credible event. I'm going to raise a, a few points here <clears throat> that, uh, and some of the arguments that people put against saying actually the resurrection uh, didn't happen. Uh, but before I get there, I just want to really quickly say that there is so much historical evidence that Jesus was a real person that lived and existed that I'm not even going to touch that. Even people that uh, don't believe in Christianity, historians, they're, if they're a credible historian, they won't doubt that Jesus was a real person that lived 2,000 years ago and lived here on earth. That is pretty much wild, widely accepted, even by people that don't believe in the Christian faith. But they do have questions around who Jesus was. So I'm just going to miss out the evidence for that. Do go and have a, have, have a, a look and a think about that. But we're just going to look into this bit of the resurrection. Because if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, it didn't matter if he lived on earth or not. 
So the first bit of evidence I want to say is the way that we can look at, that we can ensure about the resurrection, is the way that, that John and actually the other gospel writers describe the resurrection story themselves. We're told that the women were the first people at the tomb. We see it here in the beginning of our reading in verse 1. And later on in that same reading, verse 14, we hear that, Ma- that um, Jesus appears to, to Mary first. The significance of this often passes us by today. Um, and it's significant because in the culture back then when Jesus lived and died and when the Gospels were written shortly afterwards, the testimony of women was not trusted. It wouldn't be acceptable in a court of law to hear testimony from uh, any woman. Whether It doesn't matter whether there were two or three of them. Their evidence wasn't acceptable. And if you were trying to convince people that something was true, you needed men. And if the gospel writers were making something up, it would be a pretty dumb way to make something up with it all starting off by the evidence and the talking of three women or particularly of Mary. The only answer that I think makes sense to that first one is the gospel writers recorded it like that, not to try and convince people, but because that is actually what happened. It's not something that they would have readily made up to try and convince people if it wasn't true. And on top of that, these gospel accounts, they kind of have a ring of truth about them as well. We see from John's account and also uh, the other accounts as well um, that the disciples themselves don't seem to understand what has happened. Yet through the Gospels themselves, they write how Jesus has told them he was, he was about to die and that he was going to die and he would suffer these things and that he'd raised from the dead. And we're told that Jesus told his disciples this plainly. And yet here at the end, we have these disciples really confused about what was happening. They behave in quite an embarrassing way, really, don't they? I'm sure if they were making something up, they would rather make themselves look big and important rather than a bit naive and scared. Thirdly, there's the whole empty tomb and no body situation that we see. We're told that the stone has been rolled away. A stone would have been huge, probably um, anywhere between one to two tons. Not possible for a single person to move on their own. Jesus wouldn't have been able to do it, as some people have suggested, that perhaps he, he didn't die on the cross but just passed out. Um, and after a few days resting in a nice, cool tomb, woke up, pushed the stone away and escaped the two guards that were out there. That's just a silly um, theory in my opinion. Firstly, Roman soldiers knew when somebody had died and, if they, and it was their job to make sure Roman soldiers as well, if they didn't carry out orders, would often get the punishment or the infliction put on them that they didn't carry out. So if they failed in their execution, quite often they would be executed themselves. But on top of that, you've got to remember that Jesus was whipped with a cat of nine tails before crucifixion, 40 times. that had bits of bone, bone and metal in it, and it would have ripped his flesh away, his muscles and his back, and People record back then that you could see bone when people had these lashes ripped out of them. They would have been severely 
week, hardly had any muscle left in his back from that. Interestingly, if you didn't know this, one of the reasons why they did that before people were crucified wasn't just to, um, to make them suffer beforehand, but it increased the suffering when they were nailed to the cross. Because they'd be nailed to the cross, and when you breathe on the cross, you have to push up with your legs, and you'd have your back that would open and ripped open, rubbing up and down rough wood. Just add that in there for you. Jesus would not have been in any fit state to have done that. There is no way the body would have been stolen either by others. With the grave um, clothes, you would have just, they'd have taken them as well, but they were all left there, abandoned and the head part neatly rolled up. We're told that in verses 5 to 7. The authorities wouldn't have stolen the bodies because they were very afraid of the disciples stealing the body in the first place. That's the reason they had Jesus killed and his, his tomb guarded so that didn't happen. On the evidence of all this in this reading, we're told in verse 8 that John went in. John is the other disciple, by the way, in case you didn't know, pick up that from, um, from the reading. He calls himself uh, the one Jesus loved in, his, um, in the gospel. How very humble of him. Anyway, um, he said he saw and believed, we're told. But we also have more evidence. And we'll look at some of them more in the uh, other encounters that are recorded in Scripture over the coming weeks. But I just want to leave this one to you. This is the most convincing one uh, that I like the most. And it's one of the ones that helped convince me. Of the 11 remaining disciples, we're discounting Judas at this point, 10 of the 11 ended up being martyred for their faith. That means they were killed because they believed in Jesus, that he lived, that he died, and that he was resurrected. That is what they all preached. Not one of them ever recanted, even when they were tortured and threatened with death. People tend not to willingly go and die for something that they know is made up or hasn't happened. But people are prepared to die for that which they are convinced is true. Those disciples were willing to die because they knew they had seen the risen Lord Jesus. One of the uh, former Lord Chief uh, Justice, or the Chief Justice in this uh, country, Lord Darling, uh, said this, in its favour as living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection is true. But what does it mean? Let's look at what happened in this encounter that Mary had with him today. The first thing that I think I want to share with you from this passage was that Mary realized that Jesus had power over darkness. Light and darkness is a theme that's used a lot in the Gospel of John, and it's used a lot actually in literature, isn't it? I wonder if this is going to work. I thought I'd try this tonight. I've always wanted to do this and never managed to sneak it into a sermon. So do you know who I am? 
who knows who I am? Darth Vader. Light and dark, isn't it? So I, that, there's, that's a very tenuous link. But it's in movies as well, isn't it? You have, that, you have Darth Vader that says, come to the dark side. Yeah, I have this analogy of darkness representing evil and light representing goodness. Well, John, in his gospel, used that a lot. That's probably where the writer of Star Wars, his name escapes me, got his inspiration from. Right at the start of John's gospel, um, he, enabled, he likens Jesus to, to being the light that comes in when he talks about Jesus being, being the word and coming down and shining light. Yet here... Darkness seems to be raining, not just because it's uh, very early in the day, but because Jesus has died. Mary, if you didn't know, was somebody who had been oppressed by powers of darkness. We know she was freed from seven by seven of seven demons by by Jesus. She was trapped in darkness until she, Jesus had set her free, and she'd become one of his most devoted followers. She remained there when others had fled. She'd watched him die cruelly and she'd seen him buried and now Jesus was no longer alive. I suspect she may well have been considering whether her old darkness would come back to her. It may be that perhaps you're a bit like Mary. You know that from time to time you know that you've been set free by Jesus but we can all go through times, I think, when we can have a fear that our old self, our old shame, perhaps mistakes, whatever it is, let's call it darkness, is coming back into our life again. Well, the good news of the resurrection means that that's not true. It wasn't true for Mary, and it's not true for us also. Darkness is gone. When Jesus comes. Earlier on in John's Gospel, Jesus declares this promise. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The resurrection proves this promise to be true. John's account tells us that Mary set out to go to this uh, tomb in darkness, but Mark's gospel says that when she arrived and she gets to the tomb, the light is beginning to shine. It's dawn. And that Mary will not walk in darkness again. Interestingly, in John's gospel, this is the first time he mentions light since he said it went dark before Jesus died on the cross. Light is beginning to shine. Mary's not going to walk in darkness again. She was indeed freed from the darkness and its power. And so are we. We can trust Jesus' words and his promises and what he's done for us. The second thing is that, that about Jesus' resurrection is that it stops fear over death. Death is kind of the greatest enemy, isn't it, of uh, humankind. Last time I checked, the death rate was around about 100%. I don't think it's changed. Society is quite often shocked and appalled when people die or are killed, mainly because for a lot of people, particularly in our society, they think that that is it. Once we're dead, this is the end, there's no more. You know, as, as a minister in the Church of England, I get to do a, a number of funerals. 
And I'm just going to be honest with you, um, there's quite often a, diff- a great difference in atmosphere between doing a funeral when there are a lot of believers present and when there isn't. There is still sadness, but through that, when I do the funeral of somebody that's been a member of a church or had great strong faith, there is also a peace and an excitement on one level as well, in amongst all the grief and sadness that that person is no longer there. There's a confidence in the resurrection life of where that person is going. We've already talked about the attacks that happened in Sri Lanka last week on Easter Sunday, that death toll of over 250. I remember reading, and I was really annoyed, I couldn't find it. I remember reading on Easter Monday a quote from a man who had lost his, uh, his wife and son in uh, one of the church bombings. I'm sure it was on the BBC website, but I couldn't find it. So I'm just going to quote what the sentiment was. I was quite surprised because it was on, on the BBC um, website, and they don't normally put stuff like this on main news articles. But he said this, I don't really know what to do. I know I'm not going to see my family again, but I do know that they are now in a better place, for they are with their saviour. Was, it wasn't quite like that, but that was the sentiment behind it. He was lost, he was devastated, but he had a faith where his wife and his son were in the midst of that. This man, faced with that stark reality of death, had confidence in the saving power of Jesus, in his power over death. Even in that darkness, Jesus' light was still shining brightly. The amazing news about Easter is though it doesn't stop the aging process or tragedy from striking, Jesus' resurrection proves and provides the ultimate promise that his life has overcome death. That's why the disciples were willingly, would willingly die for it later on and millions have followed in their footsteps over the centuries since then. Death is not the end but the beginning of an eternity with God in an ageless, incredible, sickness-free place where we can enjoy life that's probably uh, better moment by moment than the most euphoric moment that we've had here on earth. There's another promise in John's gospel that Jesus says. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Then Jesus adds a follow-up question that we quite often forget about this. He then says, do you believe this? Do we believe it? Because we should, it's true. What a promise that we can start to enjoy this eternal life today. Forgiveness from our past and hope for a future can start right now. So there's this promise of freedom from the power of darkness through the resurrection, the promise of freedom from the fear of death. And finally, there's this promise from the freedom of the grip of despair. Despair is something that can happen to all of us from time to time. Sometimes it can be a gradual thing that happens to us and sometimes it's a sudden thing. Maybe we can face the losing of a job or perhaps the loss of purpose within our job. 
Maybe it's a relationship that was important that has broken down. Or maybe perhaps like Mary, it was through the loss of a loved one. It can feel like whatever it is, our, our world caves in. Sometimes there are reasons, but sometimes everything outwardly can seem fine, yet we can feel a real sense of emptiness on the inside. Life just doesn't seem to have a purpose. One in three Britons apparently face some form of mental distress from acute anxiety to depression every year. Well, the good news again about Easter Day and this encounter that Mary Magdalene had with Jesus is that the love of Jesus, I think, can help us overcome despair. It can help us through some of the most trying and turbulent times in our life. Certainly helped me through my trying and turbulent times all those years ago when I was at university. In this story, Mary's distraught, isn't she? Four times it mentions in that short, in those 18 verses, that she is crying. So what is it that made the difference to her? Well, if you read that at first glance, it looks as if it's Mary's seeking of Jesus that wins the day. The other disciples, they all go back to their home. But Mary stays weeping. She looks in the tomb again. She's looking for Jesus. And surely it's significant. She's doing this and she is the first one that gets to see the risen Jesus. Why did she love him so much? Why was she doing this? Perhaps it's because another quote that Jesus says, one who has been forgiven much loves much. Mary knew what Jesus had done for her. As a result, her whole life had been transformed and she'd gone on this pursuit of Jesus with her life and she was still doing it now in her despair. So it may be that you're here today and there's stuff in your life that you want freedom from. Some of you know that the answer is in Jesus. Some of you may be not quite so sure. But the promise is there. The Bible says that if you seek Jesus, you will find him. And when you do, I promise you, he will come in to whatever place you are and provide light and freedom and a way forward in it. For Mary, everything changed when Jesus calls her name. As soon as Jesus calls her name, she recognizes who Jesus is. And Mary turns out to him, doesn't she? She turns to him and cries, teacher. The darkness went, the fear of death went, the fear of uh, the despair that she was feeling went. Christianity is about an, an awesome, powerful, strong and mighty uh, creating God. But it's also, isn't it, about a personal, loving and caring God. A God who knows each of us by name and is calling us. And by his spirit, he wants to speak to each of us here. And when you hear him calling and respond, it changes everything. And Mary is so thrilled, she clings onto him. And we get these words from Jesus that I think are a little bit harsh, but actually they're really significant for us. So she comes to him and Jesus says, don't hold on to me, 
for I have not yet returned to my Father. That doesn't actually come across in the Greek. It's more like, don't continue to hold on to me. Like, for, yeah, anyway. Go instead to tell my brothers, and to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus is sort of declaring and promising a wonderful change in relationship that there is going to be. That was not just for Mary to experience this closeness with Jesus, but meaning that we could all experience closeness with Jesus. See, because we don't have Jesus physically present with us right now. He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But what we do have is his Holy Spirit present with us here on earth everywhere. And through Jesus, we now have this invitation to know his Father as God. As a Father, God, that knows us by name, that is with us. And it changes everything when that happens. The resurrection means the light has won. Let's let his light shine in our lives. Even in those places we like to keep hidden and we don't let anybody else see. Let Jesus into those. He can overcome their power in your life. Let his light shine over your fears. Trust God with them. Let the light shine in the way you interact with others. Jesus asked Mary to go and, first thing he says is, don't cling on to me, go and tell other people. God wants us to share his love, his power, and share who he is, this personal loving God, with those that we meet. It's a promise that is open to everyone to accept. So let's shine his, shine his light out in our lives day by day. It transformed Mary and it can transform us too.